All right. I am back, or we are back, Torn and I. And I'm saying back because part of me feels like it's a new year and, you know, we went somewhere, but we didn't really go anywhere. But we are back together here to just have an organic discussion so we can shift the narrative. Um, I feel like I say that all the time now in my conversations with parents. It's all about shifting the narrative. We want to shift the narrative around autism. Do you use the term, Torin? Do you find that you're using it more? Uh, I've had to use it a lot in like the last 24 hours as I've been trying to get our podcast to go wide on mm. podcatchers, on like various podcatchers, which everyone makes that sound easy. It's actually a massive pain in the ass. Yes. And I've been having to write the title of the podcast. Thanks over a lot for giving us such a long title, by the way. I just have to write it over and over and over and over and over. And I was like, now I know why they pay people to get producers. Exactly. So those of you out there that are considering starting a podcast, just know there are tedious tasks involved, but we are committed to getting the message out. Because good news is we're going to be live on pretty much everywhere in good. hopefully the next week or so, Perfect. next few days. So well, when we are, we'll make an announcement. Which is great because um, we want to shift the narrative across the globe, not yes. just in our little circle. Um, so today uh, we are going to talk about something that's been on my mind and it's communication and communication in relation to autism. And I'll say, I hadn't thought about this in a while, but it just popped in my head. I used to say as a speech therapist, you know, of course, I always said, you know, all autistic kids need to have speech therapy. Why are you dismissing them from speech therapy? They should be in speech therapy. And because I always said, it's not a behavior disorder, it's just a communication disorder. It's a communication disorder. It's all about communication. Well, of course, then I learned about other components and sensory and realized there's a combination. It's multi-layered. However, communication is the the one thing that I remember as a speech therapist, parents always said, if their children either had a physical handicap or an intellectual handicap, every parent in a first IEP said, I just want my child to tell me what they want. And communication is important for parent and child, right? For the autistic individual who needs to communicate and, and be able to express themselves, but also for the parent who wants to be able to meet their kids' needs. And so when I think of communication, I think of the importance of it. And then um, I think of other things which we're gonna talk about, but I'll let you chime in on that, Torin, um, in regards to when I suggested communication. Maybe it's because I myself am autistic, but when I think of communication, I think of the struggles a lot of us have communicating with neurotypicals and people who aren't autistic. Mm -hmm. and how there's a lot of, for example, autistic people take a lot of things, and I'm speaking in generals here, mm -hmm. uh, so just take that with a grain of salt, but autistic people tend to take things face value. We tend to take things face value. We like honesty. We like sort of being upfront, and there's a lot of neurotypicals, and I hate to use that phrase, but for, yeah. for simplicity, neurotypicals will use a lot of sort of cloak speech, I call it iceberg speech, where they'll, mm -hmm. well, they'll say one thing but mean a whole bunch of other stuff under the surface, like an iceberg, yeah. or they'll allude to stuff. And that can often be hard because they expect us to understand what they mean Yes. without spelling it out. 
Yeah. Uh, a simple example is a pleasantry in a lot of places. How are you today? Or or how was your day? They, they don't actually want an answer. No. They, they don't want you to, we, we, they, they, they don't care about your day. It's just a pleasantry because you don't say, you sound like an asshole. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's things like that. We, we suddenly like, whoa, 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 why are you telling me about your day? I don't want to know about your day. Well, you ask me. So that's a, that's a common example. So when I think of that, I think of that sort of miscommunication, especially between parents and mm-hmm. older autistic people. So teenagers mm-hmm. and adults, because a lot of my friends and me have had those issues mm-hmm. with like parental figures and adults. So that's sort of what comes to my mind first. Yeah. No. And, you know, it's funny uh, when you just said that about your perspective as an autistic individual, I remember um, this conference I went to ages ago and there was a panel of autistic adults and one of the guys said, you know, the bottom line is uh, people who are, that was before we used the terminology neurotypicals, he said, people who are not autistic, you waste a lot of time talking about nothing. (laughs) And I thought, he's so right. And I'm a talker, so um, anyway, but uh, what you said uh, just now, is actually sort of a great intro to segue into what I think about and what I wanted to talk about in relation to communication, where you said the miscommunication between parent and child, the misunderstanding from the autistic perspective or the parent not understanding what the child is saying or how they're saying it, why they're saying it that way. And what I wanted to talk about is not these are strategies, right? I have those videos. I've done that. I'm not saying that we won't talk about that, but I really have been just having a lot of conversations with people in general, but also parents in regards to just accepting that your child communicates differently and it's okay. And if your child communicates using either something uh, different than verbal communication, that's okay because the communication and the relationship is the important part. Or if your child only wants to communicate once a day in a conversation, just accept that, right? And accept that it's different and it's okay. And you have to make an adjustment because I'm in this place where I want to shift the narrative because I want people who are not autistic individuals who are um, maybe uh, trying to understand what they can do. And I think part of it is stop trying to make autistic individuals communicate like neurotypicals and just shift yourself a little bit and just like not. I mean, there's just so many things that people get all upset about, especially parents in regards to, you know, my child won't, you know, talk about their day at school. Okay, that's not the end of the world. Let it go, right? Just let it go. Let it go. Um, And I understand the importance of that. But I'm saying that there are other things that are important in relation to communication and just accept that your child might not want because the bottom line is, and I'll stop talking, you know, I could just keep going. The majority of relationships, partnerships, marriages, whatever it is, there's typically an introvert, extrovert, talker, non-talker, right? If you have two talkers, it's just a nightmare or two folks who never talk. So it's you're usually accepting of your spouse's different way of communicating, but we want our kids to be like us, right? We want our kids to do what we do. And so we get caught up in looking for what we want it to look like. And we miss the moments of how wonderful it does look from their perspective. All right. That's what 
I want to talk about. First of all, when you have two spouses that don't talk, that's not that's not chaos. That that's just having two autistic people, and they're talking. They're just texting each other, even though they're in the same room. I love it. That's what Karen Rose says. <laughs> I've actually heard that from multiple multiple people. I'm personally, I'm a talker, so I'm just constantly. Everyone I'm around, I'm just constantly running my mouth. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I think concerns a lot of parents is generally verbal communication and clear articulation are generally held up as signs of development and mm-hmm. and told to us that there are skills that we need to learn in order to quote unquote survive in the real world. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of parents are concerned about that. And what would you say to parents who are? And and you're exactly correct. I totally, totally understand the um, the burden the school puts on parents in regards to communication and how you have to demonstrate intelligence by communication. And I will tell you what I tell parents. And that is, that is why I'm glad you're here in this parent coaching session, because you're becoming empowered. And the more you understand your child's communication needs, the more you can advocate. And, and this is why we're talking, because if we don't start talking about accepting that an AAC device can be used for an IQ test. We, we, we're just going to be stuck in this uh, hamster wheel of like just talking about it over and over and over again, unless those of us who are talking and those of you who are listening and, and shifting the narrative and accepting and pushing for change. I remember when children with a wheelchair were not able to go to school because there were just stairs and there was no elevator. But you know what people did? They talked about the importance of them being independent. They talked about the insistence of children having access. And it's not about inclusion. It's about changes were made. We have ramps everywhere. And we're not going to be able to to change our communities, the world for autistic individuals to be able to be included if you want to keep going to the inclusion format. Um, I'm not anti-inclusion. I'm saying... We can't just say you have to do it the way we do it. We have to understand and meet halfway. It's not a ramp, right, that they need. It's not a beeper to be visually impaired and cross the street, but there are other things. And one of them is accepting communication differences. When parents don't offer an alternative method while they're learning verbal, or maybe they may not be able to be a strong verbal communicator. When we don't offer alternatives and accept that communication can look different, we limit our child's abilities to go into the world and be independent. And I know parents get, I understand, you know, you want it to be verbal because just like you said, Torin, it's the way the world, the general community looks at what is supposed to be in place But if we don't start rocking the boat and shifting the narrative around autistic individuals and what supports need to be in place, we're going to miss out. We are going to miss out because I think autistic individuals have a lot to say. It just may be said in a different way. Um, All right. I could just go on. (laughs) And I think, well, I just want to piggyback off what you said. There are different forms of communication. Behavior is communication. Uh A meltdown is communication. It's Uh a very loud form of communication, but it's communication. Yes. And that's something that a lot of parents, teachers, caregivers, therapists, et cetera, uh, need to learn to sort of get in tune with. Uh Because 
everyone communicates. Autistic children in particular will often communicate through through um, behaviors and sounds and mm-hmm. things like that to sort of tell you how they feel without telling you because mm-hmm. oftentimes access to words can be difficult even for mm-hmm. verbal autistics access to words and being able to process and articulate their feelings can be different difficult mm-hmm. for a lot of autistic children and I also think that a lot of the narrative around communication is based off like nonverbal children, which is important. That's very because a lot of autistic people do struggle, but autistic children grow to become autistic adults and they may or may not develop verbal skills. Some of us, some of us don't and then become reliant on things like AAC devices, Mm -hmm. which you can go into in a little bit, but they can be very hard to get and it's a whole rigmarole. And a lot of us are like me, where we have some level of verbal ability but we have trouble communicating because A, oftentimes we're not listened to because it's assumed that we can't communicate in any way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. And also, like I said earlier, neurotypicals, I got to find a different word for that because that's neither here nor there. Neurotypicals will say things and mean something else. And that could be very hard. And will say things, something sometimes very blunt and say how we feel and get attacked for being so blunt. And those are sort of the things that that I think need to be focused on a little bit more because they're like autistic adults are a thing Mm -hmm. and we run the gamut from nonverbal to never shutting the hell up like me. And that needs to be addressed too. Yes. And and I think that um, you said it very well in terms of it's not just about having a method method of communication in regards to communication differences. It's even with a verbal method of communication, there are also differences and nuances. And one of the biggest things that people always say is, you know, oh, my child's being so rude, right? Because they don't understand um, that they're just really telling you that you smell bad, like, because you do. Um, My students would often say, oh, yuck, coffee breath. And they're right. I'm sitting in their face. I'm drinking coffee. So that is a very harsh smell. Pungent smell, yeah. And, you know, instead of me responding, you know, for lack of a better term, like a, you know, selfish teacher and saying, you can't talk to me that way. I understood this is an autistic child. He's telling me like it is, and he's right. But it's hard for a lot of people to, to, a lot of adults to, to accept that honesty and that bluntness, because what they used to call it when I grew up in Louisiana, it was, they used to call you a smart aleck. You know, if you call the teacher, if you question the teacher or question the elder, because as an intelligent child, it didn't make sense to you. They're like, oh, you're a smart aleck. That's really just because you outsmarted them and you actually were correct as a child. And a lot of adults don't like that. And a lot of autistics get that too, because there's, and there's a bit of a stereotype, but some autistic people are actually quite, have quite advanced vocabulary, especially Mm -hmm. for their age. And they will, I I was one of those people would often point out things teacher might get wrong, or at least they think might get wrong. And we might come off as like a smart aleck or a smarty pants or something like that, which can be very damaging for a kid, basically telling a kid to shut up. Yeah. It is not great for, for, for a child's psyche. And, and obviously there are, there are limits. Sometimes autistic people can say things that are just downright hurtful and not understand what we're saying mm-hmm. is hurtful. Mm-hmm. And you just, 
in those situations, you just need to be calm and explain why what they're doing is hurtful. And mm-hmm. when you're dealing with autistic adults, if you if you explain to an autistic adult why what they're saying is hurtful, mm-hmm. and they, they explain it, and then they continue to do it, oftentimes they'll just wave that away as that person's just autistic, they don't understand. Sexual harassment actually is a big one. If there'll be there'll be creepers who sexually harass women or or, or coworkers, mm-hmm. and use the fact they're autistic as an excuse. Like, oh, I, I I'm autistic. I don't know any better. It's like, no, that person's a jerk. Yeah, a person's a jerk and a creep. Yeah. If you calmly explain something and they continue to do it, if this is an adult we're talking about, or or mm-hmm. or a teenager, someone who knows better, who continues to do it and even after you've explained it, it's because they're just a douchebag. Yeah, yeah. And that's also important to remember that while we do need to explain it, you also don't shouldn't have to explain it five or six times. Yeah. And and I'll tell you how I tell parents to avoid having to explain it five or six times. Knowing and understanding how your child makes connections. Because if you understand how they make connections. So for example, one of my students love checklist. Anything, if you put it on a checklist, he would do it, whether he wanted to do it or not. He loved doing the checklist. So anytime I needed to explain to him something like a new social, like, you know, you can't throw the board up when you lose the game and then wonder why nobody wants to play with you. So I made a checklist. These are the things people look for when you're playing a game. And if you want your friends to stay at the table with you, these are the things they look for. Look at this checklist. I communicated to him and connected it in a way that I knew he processed information very well. And it stuck right now. That's why I always talk about know your kids. (laughs) I will, I will. um, I love the way this conversation is going because the differences is what I wanted to discuss. Um, Not the methods, right? Not strategies, the differences and a really, really um, one of my favorite examples is teen boys. And I've had several students in this situation and, and think about what I just said while I'm telling the story, all of you, you listening in terms of you have to understand how they process and connect things. So this student was called into the principal's office because he was asking girls, hi, can I touch your breast, right? You know, 16 year old boy likes breasts. He wants to touch them. I get it. Well, He got in trouble, right? Because the girls started complaining. So I was thankfully called in and I sat with him and I said, well, you know, I understand (laughs) you want to touch girls' breast. Um, You're a 16 year old boy. And he looked at me and he said, well, at least I asked, like my speech therapist said before I, and I said, you know what? You are correct. I said, I totally appreciate it. At least he asked for consent. Unfortunately, that puts him ahead of a lot of different age. Exactly. He said, I follow the rule that you don't touch people without asking. And I said, okay, that's great. Check. I'm glad that you asked them first. So then I had to think, okay, how does he think? How does he process? So how can I get him to make the connection? Because he's making sense. I'm asking permission. Can I touch your breasts? I know I can't just grab them even though I want to, but can I touch them? So I said to him, I said, you know, I'll tell you from a girl's perspective, the other girls don't like it when you ask all the girls the same question. Girls like to feel special. He was like, oh, so that was me saying, okay, let me get him to stop asking everyone, right? Because I've got to get that 
nipped in the bud. So then he said, okay, so I have to pick one girl. Ah, okay. So let's talk about that. Right. So then I had to go with him on the journey of what he was trying to accomplish and make the connection to get him to understand you can't ask either, right? You can't touch and you can't ask. And there's a whole dynamic around it, right? Um, and then of course, you know, you always, I'm always honest with kids about, you know, the, the possibilities of getting, you know, legal trouble, like, you know, that's a serious matter with for you doing that. But I was able to get him to connect and understand the reason why he shouldn't do it, not just because girls don't like it, not just because they said you're not supposed to do it, because his concrete thinking was, I followed the rules and asked, and I want to touch somebody's breast, right? I get it. Those are the two things. He's a 16-year-old boy, 16-year-old little boy. Well, not little boy, but totally, totally understood it. And so that's where that communicating differently um, comes into play in terms of understanding how your child communicates, right? And, and being able to maybe shift the way you present information to them. Um, and yes, it, it, it takes time and, and usually parents can key into, and they probably, usually parents I find know more, but they just don't realize that it's something tangible. Um, and sometimes I, I explain it to my parents and this is a loose analogy, but it's almost like you're learning a different cultural language because your child speaks English like you do, or they speak Spanish like you do, but their cultural, autistic cultural language and the rules that they have in their head are a little different. So you've got to figure them out and sort of meet them halfway. All right, Torn. And there, there might be some parents who are thinking, well, my my little boy, he's seven years old. He's, he's autistic. I don't think things like asking girls, ask touch girls, but I don't think it's going to be a problem. You'd be surprised. Uh -huh. Five, six, seven years, a long time. You'd be very surprised. You just said. You're going you're gonna to love it when he brings home his first girlfriend. Um, and you're freaking the hell out because you don't trust her and you're afraid she's going to hurt him. Yes. So you might, as well get, you might as well get started now. Autistic children grow up to be teenagers and adults like and, everyone And on a serious note, that kid in your example is actually ahead of a lot of dudes his own age. At least he understands what consent is. Yes. You, you, you would think that'd be the basic, but it's not. Yes. <laughs> Unfortunately, no. it's not. So at least he understands that is. But that's a perfect example of how social dynamics and that's form of communication mm -hmm. can be hard for us to digest because something can both be true and untrue at the same time. Mm -hmm. Yep. You're supposed to, for example, with girls, you're supposed to ask, but there are certain things you're supposed to ask, certain things you're not supposed to ask. There are certain times you're supposed to ask, you're supposed to ask in a certain way. And those can all be really confusing. Yes. And autistic people either might completely shut down, and not just when it, when it comes to girls, when it comes to society in general. Mm -hmm. So you get, generally, I see you get two, autistic people tend to go two ways, either completely shut down because they can't handle it. And they're just like, I'm, I'm just not going to do anything because it's overwhelming. I'm just not going to say or do anything yeah. as little as possible. Or they just bulldoze right through all those rules mm -hmm. and just say exactly, vocalize exactly how they feel all the time, every time. Yes. It tends to be one of the two. And, and sorry. No, go ahead. No, what were you going to say? No, no, no. I'm so sorry, Torin. <laughs> I'm literally, I'm literally freestyling this. So I'm basically, I'm, I'm loading, I'm like a, I'm like a video with terrible Wi-Fi. I'm loading it as I go. So. Well, I, I think that's one of the things that we both appreciate about one another is that we're both talkers and we both are talking with ticker tapes of things we want to say after we finish talking that we're already talking and saying. Um, but 
what, and everyone who either knows me or those of you who are listening and are learning about me, um, I love to share stories. Um, I have actually always loved to share stories. I used to tell my boys, life is not about a bunch of boxes for people to pack up when you die. It's about stories to tell about your life. And um, I love to tell stories, especially for parents, because it helps them connect when you tell stories about actual things that have happened with either an actual autistic adult child. And when you said about the, the social dynamics and the differences of that, um, same conference where the gentleman said, neurotypicals talk about nothing. Uh, there were uh, three of us speech therapists that got into an elevator and there was a gentleman who didn't take really long for us to figure out he was an autistic individual and we were at an autism conference. But he, you know, you wear badges, right, at the conference. And so he said, oh, I see that you all are from Louisiana. And we're like, oh, yes. Oh, so do you like uh, crawfish? Oh, yes. Oh, so do you speak French? I mean, all of these like factual, concrete questions, right? Because he's like having a conversation. Um, and then at the end, the elevator door is open and he said, um, it was nice to meet you. And we said, it was nice to meet you too. And he said, I only said those things because that's what my speech therapist told me I had to do when I met people. <laughs> nice. Nice. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is like my favorite story of all time because it's so true when we teach these scripted social skill, redundant, crazy things that make no sense. And even if your child does them in the back of their head, it's like, I'm only doing this because I was told I'm not really interested in anything they have to say or where they were from. Does that like make sense? No, he's better off than me because I would have just started spewing a bunch of stereotypes. It's like, you're from Louisiana. Uh, I'm serious. Like, like, I would have been like, how the hell do you people live down there? It's hot. <laughs> you get hit by hurricanes. Like that, that's full of rednecks. Yeah. Yeah. Like, how do people survive down there? Like, let's see, but you know, socially, we're not allowed to say that, but at least I would have thought it. So, yeah. in my yes. mind, I'm thinking maybe he's thinking that. He's like, okay, I can't say that shit. I so know. Let me, let, me just, let me just list off some stuff I got from Wikipedia. Exactly. It was so, really I, don't, so I don't get chewed out right now. It was a very pivotal point in my professional development because it made me think about why are we teaching rote social skill programs when it's not like they're excited about having the conversation anyway. And, and it comes off as robotic anyway, it does. because that's exactly. what it is. Because it's learned and it's yes. unnatural. Mm -hmm. It's like listening to someone speak a language. They're not very good at speaking. They mm -hmm. kind of have a working knowledge of it, but yeah. they can't really pronounce the words. They sound like crap when they speak it. Like, that's kind of how it is. We actually sound better in our own language. Mm -hmm. yep. Now, for him, it might have been that he just, all the words would get jumbled up in his head unless he had a script to go off of. He just yeah. couldn't vocalize at all. I, I, I don't know about this particular individual. But one thing I'd like to bring up also is most, if not all social norms, most people don't know instantly. With, with, with most of these social norms, they essentially, they're learned responses. Most children, if you ever work with, with young children, do all sorts of kids do the damnedest things. Do all do and say all sorts of things not supposed to say. Mm 
Mm-hmm. Like I had a, a kindergarten when I was working in education. There was a kindergartner who ran up to me one day, ran up, hugged me, had the widest smile on her face, looks up and goes, hello, fat man. <laughs> the same girl at another point, um, it was like some, it was like picture day or something. And I say, I forget her name. It's like, your, your hair looks really nice. And she goes, the Dominicans did it. <gasps> Oh my gosh! They do. So, and the, the, this kid, this kid was a, from what what we could tell was a neurotypical child. It's just mm-hmm. she was five. Yeah. Children learn these things through saying stuff they shouldn't, mm-hmm. and then being told right. usually rudely, "You're not allowed to do." And going, "Oh, well." Yes. For autistic kids, a lot the same thing. We just don't always pick it up quite the same way or as quickly. But most social norms are basically just responses to trauma, yeah. essentially. Yes. So you learn to say. How was your day? Because odds are you've had some elderly figure when you were a kid basically yeah. tell you, make sure you say hi to that person. Make sure you say, how was your day? Make sure you mm-hmm. wave by when you were a child. So you know to do it. These aren't, that's a common misconception. These are natural things. No, these are learned behaviors and it's learned behavior for autistics too. It's mm-hmm. just a lot of us have very concrete way of thinking. So if something doesn't make sense, yep, we're going to have, we're going to struggle with it because the example I used earlier saying, how was your day? What's the point of asking if you don't care? Exactly. exactly. And so we'll, we'll struggle with that. And that's why we don't always, at least that's my theory. That's mm-hmm. why we don't always learn these as much. Plus we tend to be more introverted. Mm-hmm. So we don't have as many experiences interacting with other kids and other adults and essentially making mistakes and learning from those mistakes. I always feel like a lot of our social rules are, just teaching us how to like, kind of like fake it and bullshit it through social situations. Um, you know, nobody really wants to hear the honesty. Um, and that's always been difficult for me. Clearly, I am not someone who holds back. Um, and I actually do hold back. <laughs> the older I get, I, the more I let out. But I've always been very honest. I was always the person who got in trouble for questioning the teacher or um, making a very concrete statement because it made more sense to me. Uh, because I had, an, I don't know, autonomy in my thought, I guess. And like, it didn't make sense to me, but I was I'm a, a clearly a verbal and have no trouble uh, verbalizing or talking to anyone and everyone. But um, that also kind of brings up something that, you know, this is one of those things that maybe when we have a, a parent, I know we have some plans to have some parents come on uh, because, one of the conversations I have a lot with parents in regards to helping them understand the differences and the communication difference, either socially or, you know, introvert, extrovert, whatever it is, is how to balance mom wants to hear, hi, mom, I love you. Child may struggle with feeling the importance of that or understanding or saying it on cue when mom is requesting it, or even about my school day, right? And so in my, in my role as a parent coach, I have to sometimes sort of dig to find out why is it so important to the parent for their child to do this? Because it's not something that's going to be an innate natural motivation for the child. And one of the things that a lot of parents get um, uh, caught up in, and I understand why, because it's socially, we're supposed to say hello and, and how are you? And, you know, parents want kids to say hi to someone when they walk in the room, bye to someone and, you know, and do all these greetings, greetings. I want to work on greetings. I want to work on greetings. And I, you know, uh, I don't 
like to talk about credentials or whatever, but I also have a master's in child development. And so I have a lot of information. I've always studied kids in the brain, but that's, children... a, that's a nice soft flex right there. Nice soft <laughs> flex. Like, oh yeah, I also have a master's in this. <laughs> <laughs> but I tell parents, I say, you know, greetings are not something any child finds internally motivating. Children are really all about themselves and playing and eating the good foods. They really don't really care about saying hi and bye to most people. Um, Not saying they don't like to see you, but it's not something. It's something like you said, that is taught. It is taught. It is taught. It is reinforced. It is taught because it's expected. And usually the parents say, I want them to do it because other people expect them to do it. And I don't want my child to look different. Yeah, and, 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 and that's a re- that that's a reason autistic people tend to struggle with because mm-hmm. it essentially amounts to because reasons. Like, why do we do this? Because reasons that we don't deal well with because reasons. Mm-hmm. And that's essentially what that breaks down to. Yeah. We need concrete reason on why I say mm-hmm. hi and bye. I say hi and bye to people, but as a kid, I didn't always do that. Because it just makes no sense. They know, especially if they see me leaving. Like it's it's one thing if you're leaving a party, you want to let somebody know you're leaving, so they know mm-hmm. that they're not expect you to be there anymore because you are exiting the scene. But mm-hmm. if they know you're leaving, like you're at the door, they see you leaving. Clearly, you're leaving. So to an autistic child, they're like, "Well, well why am I why am I saying bye?" They that they see us going in the car. Where the hell do they think we're going on a beer yep. run? Yep, we're leaving. So that's the thing concrete explanations are Mm -hmm. huge for autistic children Mm -hmm. and and even in terms of you know the you know when i talked about you're looking for this form of communication or this way of communication because that's the way you do it and then you're missing what your child is really doing and one of my um wonderful families uh who had a little little four-year-old tyke and and at the end of every session, um, he would come over and they would say, um, tell Miss Stacy bye. And uh, I remember so distinctly the session where, um, no, they wanted him to wave, wave. And so they said, wave bye, wave bye. He looked straight at me in the camera and said, bye. And they were like, wave bye. See, he won't wave bye. I said, he just said bye. But because they were so focused on wanting to see what they were looking for, they missed that he actually verbalized appropriately by and then didn't see how he was getting frustrated because he had already said by and he wanted to get off of their lap and go back to play. So those are the things. That's why I love it when kids can get into the session, because it really gives me a really good viewpoint of you're doing good stuff, right? You're doing in your intent but look what you missed because you're looking for A and they just said B, but you missed B because you're looking for A. And it happens a lot, especially with the greetings or um, parents will send me video and say, look, they're not, they won't, they won't use, they won't use their device. I said, but they asked for cookie verbally. Like they don't need their device if they ask for cookie verbally, but the parents miss it because they're looking for the focus of that. Um, and, and I know this is stretching it in terms of communication differences, but I'm bringing it not, up. Not at all. This is, this is right in, in that sort of wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. It, 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 it brings the point of 
accepting the difference is to not keep looking for what you expect because of what you do and how you communicate. And I go back to most of us are paired up with partners who communicate differently, which is usually one of the reasons people go to marriage counseling because <laughs> different ways of communicating. So, you know, learning and under, and I'm not, you know, you can figure out your stuff with your partner and your spouse on communication differences, but when it comes to a parent who is um, working with a child who has language differences, delays, differences, you know, disabilities, however you want to frame it, it is very important to understand and watch and observe so that you can pick up on those differences and then you don't get caught up in looking for that same that you have. No, I, I, and I think that's, that that's incredibly important because a lot of parents are, not a lot of people, but a lot of parents are focused on certain things, in my opinion, because they're societal markers. Yes. And they're, I don't want to say they're afraid of being criticized because that makes it sound shallow. Mm -hmm. But parents do get a lot of social pressure from their mm -hmm. families, from their friends, from teachers, from schools to have their kids act a certain way. If your kid doesn't say bye at school, for example, mm -hmm. best believe the school or if you go or you go to your grandma's house or you go to your parents' house or, or relative's house and your kid doesn't say bye, they're going to notice and then they're going to be like, well, why is your kid not saying bye? That's rude. Mm -hmm. And that reflects badly on you. Yes. So I think there's, that a lot of parents do feel that pressure, rightly or wrongly, mm -hmm. to have their kids act in socially expected ways, because mm -hmm. then that reflect how they act reflects on the parent of for course. better or for worse. Nope. I, I you're exactly right. I have how, how you deal with some of that pressure then, which is a question I kind of ask every podcast just in a different way. But I think it's important <laughs> because they're getting it from so many sides for so many things. I think that's yeah. important. How do you buffer sort of the stress from all that pressure yes. to get your kid to act a certain way so it doesn't reflect on you? People aren't saying you're a bad parent because no one wants to be a bad parent. No. So there's two or three layers to that. So the first layer is, of course, you know, I have to consider the parent um, and, and their individual um emotional needs and, and the way they see the world and culture as well. So I have to dig into that, but I will tell you the things that get parents to a place where they can start advocating and shifting the narrative around autism and communication differences is one, when parents really become empowered and understand their child, like really, 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 because one, when you start to understand your child, you take away, it's not about me as a parent. It's just the way my child processes as an individual. So that's kind of like the first, I don't know, I don't want to use an analogy about peeling off onion peels or layers, but um, it is the one of the first things that I see with my, especially my moms, a lot of my dads as well, in terms of once they see, oh, so he's not sitting at the dinner table because his sensory needs are not being met. It's not because I don't know how to control my child. Once they start making that connection, they, they have a different perspective and then they start approaching it differently. Then as they learn more, then they feel more empowered to push back on usually relatives. But I always guide my parents and say, before you get to the step where you're gonna, and I talked about this in my holiday um, tips, you find one person, you got to find one person in the family who has your back, just one. 
You just need one person to partner up with you. You both push up against, you're going to get another person to join you. And I guarantee you, when you do what your child, one of my moms, she actually said that after the holidays um, that they had such a great holiday visit with her parents for the first time. And I said, well, why do you think so? And she said, because I did every single strategy you recommended. I advocated for a quiet place for him to go. I made sure that I had the foods that he, you know, she did all of these things. And she said, I didn't even get pushback as much as I thought I was because everyone could see the difference and how I did things differently. Therefore, my child responded differently. And we didn't have a meltdown on Christmas Day. They can sense that self-confidence. And I never thought of it that way. Because I think that's what you're saying is, or at least what some people may take from that is, a lot of that pressure comes from parents' own self-doubt that they worry they're not doing the right thing. Yes. And as you become more confident and learn your child and learn how to be the best parent you can be, Mm -hmm. you develop a sort of self-confidence and other people can feel that. Yes. And they can feel that radiating off you. And, they don't and they're less back. likely to push back. You yep. become a force that sort of yep. bends the world around you mm-hmm. because you're because you're stating and you're advocating. And I never thought of it that way, but that's that 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 that's actually really. It's, wow. what is it? I think a lot of people are kind of having a mind a, a mind blown, like the mind blown emoji. I, I hope a lot of people are because I actually am right now because I, I never um, thought of it that way. But you're right. Yeah, it's and and that's that's part of that is, you know, my journey as a parent, um, and as a mom and understanding. And then the other part is, you know, all the other stuff um, in regards to, uh, you know, just becoming empowered and understanding your kiddo. And it's always, it always amazes me when parents say, you know everybody's like doing what I, what I had asked them to do. And I said, because you are doing it with confidence, like you're doing it and they can see the results because when you can't push back, when you have results, what are you going to push back on? Now there's always that aunt who says, you just spoiling that bait. You know, there's always going to be somebody, but they would say that whether your child was autistic or not. So yeah, <laughs> we, we all I, have that. We all have that relative. There's really not much yes, to do about that. I'll have that relative. I had a mom that she was clearly just you know, confident from the very beginning. And I remember she called me and she said, will you do training with my mom? And I said, of course, I'll do some parent training with your mom. And she said, because I've told my mother that we have a plan, we're implementing strategies and we want everyone to be consistent. And if she doesn't get training and understand and follow the strategies, she will not be able to babysit my son. I was like, all righty now. That's how you advocate. That is how you advocate. You set firm boundaries, not in a mean way, but in a stern way, in a way that gets the point across. Not like, um, um, well, if you can't, um, no, you need to be clear and articulate. Mm -hmm. Yep. And the great thing is that the mom was clear and she, you know, knew what she wanted. And, but she also offered her mom a way to be able to join her. Yeah. That's another thing. Yeah. She wasn't saying, you know, oh, you can't do it if you don't do this. She was like, hey, listen, I've got some resources. I just need you to, to make an effort because when we're working on communication, I need everyone to do the same thing because we are serious about building communication skills. I mean, and you need to teach your autistic children this too. First of all, they're going to follow your example. So that's one reason why you need to do this because the first thing is when they're young, they're going to follow you, but you need to explicitly verbally teach your 
autistic kids how to do this themselves. Yes. Because no one is going to listen to them unless they make them listen, especially yeah. when you're autistic. If they know you're autistic, they're not going to listen to you. Most mm -hmm. people aren't, don't care what you have to say unless you're sort of confirming their biases. Yeah. You have to be forceful as an autistic person. You have to be articulate. You have to be clear, which would be hard for us. And that's skills that we need help learning. Yes. And it's parents' jobs, in my opinion, to teach their kids because eventually they're going to have to advocate for themselves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it pretty much irregardless of where they're at on the quote unquote spectrum, they yes. will to some extent have to advocate for themselves and they need to be able to do it clear and concise and with self-confidence. Yes. So I think that's important on multiple levels. Mm -hmm. Yep. To model it. And, you know, I always think that, you know, which is probably why I got in trouble in school all the time, you know, everybody has a right to self-advocate, you know, you, you know, I mean, and if you have a, a disability or a communication difference, you have a legal right to <laughs> advocate for yourself. Um, but, you know, I, and, and I, and this is a whole nother podcast topic, but I'll, I'll finish that, that loop around advocating in terms of, it is very important for you to model advocating in front of your child and then teach them directly. But going back to it models that everyone is a human being and has a right to advocate for themselves. And one of the reasons a lot of children in general become victims is because no one gave them permission to advocate for themselves. Exactly. And, Whenever and, they tried, they got yelled at. Exactly. And, um, you know, like I said, advocating comes with consequences, you know, and, and, and it's difficult, but that's a whole nother topic. Let me shift my gear. And I said, I was closing the loop on that one. Um, no, but I, I think, no, I, I think before, right before we go, I think that is important mm -hmm. because it shows you from the autistic perspective, a lot of children do try to advocate. They do try to tell you how they feel and they get utterly shut down. Mm -hmm. And when you do that to a child, any child, doesn't matter mm -hmm. if they're on the spectrum or not, they're going to learn, okay, it's better if I just be quiet. Yeah, I won't, because children are not going to try, most children naturally are not going to just try to stand up to push back. They're going to shut up when an authority figure tells them to shut up. Yes. So if you don't let, if you don't identify your kids advocating for themselves, it might not be verbally, it might be in behavior, it might be over an AAC device. If you can't recognize that and you shut it down, they're, they're going to associate that with pain and unpleasantry, and they're never going to advocate. They're never going to want to because they learned early that negative things come from it. Yeah. And so you need to give them that opportunity, even if what they're saying is inconvenient for you sometimes. Yep. And, and I, that's a really good point. Um, and we definitely have to have a, a another um, a podcast to talk about that directly, but I will bring that example of, you know, kids communicating things and advocating for themselves, but then that communication is sort of shut down to that's where it's important to understand your child's communication differences and how they communicate while they're developing whatever method is going to be their primary method. Because a child that is pushing away from a, uh, whether it's a texture or pushing away from their math homework, they are advocating and telling you, I'm not ready for this whether it's they need sensory, whether they're hungry and they need a snack before, whether they just don't understand the directions that you've given. And that's where I always want teachers to understand. I'm not saying children don't have to do their math. I'm saying we need to figure out why are they pushing back on math? 
What is the, re and that's all children, of course, but specifically children who may not have a strong communication method in place yet, and they're communicating in a different way. I just can't. And I say all the time, if children can, they will. If they can't, we need to figure out how to support them so they can. Saying they can't is a form of self-advocacy. Doesn't feel like it feels like an annoyance. It feels mm -hmm. like defiance. It feels like stubbornness. And sometimes it's a tiny bit of that. But that's what advocacy is. Mm -hmm. When you advocate, you're going to be annoying to people. Of you have to be kind of annoying, otherwise they're not going to listen to you. That's when they a child, an autistic child says they can't do something. That is a form of advocacy, mm -hmm. and you need to encourage that. Now, yeah. sometimes they'll say they can't do something that very well can be done if it has a slight tweak to it. But they are communicating that the method you are using to try to achieve whatever it is they're trying to do is a no-go. And that needs to be encouraged because they're going to need that skill when they grow up. Yep. You just said I think, it. Yep. And I think we should, we should bring it in here. Yep. I think it's a perfect spot. That was a perfect example of a child can communicate advocating in a different way than you expect, but that doesn't mean they're not really advocating. And you need to just be open to it. All right, Torin, this was great. We might have to do a part two. Definitely. <laughs> All right, everyone out there. Until next time, have these conversations, bring them up when you feel comfortable because, you know, we need numbers, um, people talking in order to shift the narrative so that our communities are better for all of us, autistic and Torrin's favorite word, neurotypicals. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, Torrin, let me.